and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Fall Into Adventure. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now and come back when you've read it. Hello, Jen. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really, really good. How has your month been? Uh, yeah, fine. I went to London once for the day, uh, to the theatre, Julius Caesar, very good indeed. Uh-huh. And actually I've been to the theatre quite a bit recently, and yeah, not a bad month. How about you? Mine was good too. I went on holiday, I went to Romania, um, which is where lots of vampire mythology comes from. And I visited the castle which Bram Stoker based Dracula's castle on. And then a really cool thing when I was there was that Princess Mary of England, who was Victoria's daughter, lived in that castle and she was the Queen of Romania. So it was like visiting um, a Brit abroad. But she had a really, really nice decor. The only bad thing was it was our first holiday since we adopted Helena and we both missed her like crazy. But it was super sweet when we came home and went to collect her. She'd been staying with my mum and dad, so she was in great hands and had had a lovely vacation with her grandparents. But um, she was like so happy to see us and we were so happy to see her. It was so, so sweet. Yay. Oh, that's lovely. It was really nice. Bless. So, before we fall into adventure this week, ha 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 ha, <laughs> we need to mention you lovely people who've been sending us information on Twitter, giving us fantastic iTunes reviews. Really sorry that we hadn't seen them before, but we don't get a notification, so I just randomly check iTunes every now and again. And we've had some absolutely fantastic reviews, so thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. It's so sweet to see that people enjoy listening and then to read the sweet things that people have said like makes our day so thank you so much and we've had two hashtag team dulians on twitter which is great news yes and um special shout out to jason who's helped us with some information regarding a character in this book and on email thank you to julio for your kind words and to mike who helped us out with the pound coin debate from last episode excellent in the earlier books mr purton does give julian pound notes and not coins ooh and in fact he says that in the later books when it gets changed to coins in the eileen soper illustration you can still see julian handing notes to aggie Oh, wow. Oh, that's really cool. So thank you to everybody so far. We love hearing your feedback. We love you having your input. It makes it totally worthwhile us doing this podcast to know that you guys are enjoying it and and um, and listening. So thank you. Carry on doing it. Yeah, keep up the good work, guys. Because we're only on book nine. We've got a long way to go. Yeah, we do. Shall we crack on with Five Fall Into Adventure? Here is my synopsis. Just as the five are relaxing into the holidays, a burglar breaks into their uncle's study searching for top-secret documents. And when George and Timmy mysteriously disappear, Julian, Dick and Anne must track them down. Is the burglary linked to their disappearance? And what dangers must they overcome to find them? Ooh. 
What dangers indeed. What dangers indeed. Yeah, mine says, and I've got the version that was released as a tie-in with the major TV series, the 90s one. Uh, I think you'll find the 70s one was the major one. Thank you. I'm just reading the back of the book. <laughs> just reading the back of the book. Um, so mine says, George and Timmy the dog have disappeared. Have they been kidnapped? And why has somebody broken into Kieran Cottage? The famous five are sure there's a connection, but how can they solve the mystery when there are only three of them? Dun, dun, dun. I know. Dark times. This was a strange book. I did enjoy it, but there's hardly any time at all where the five are together. And there's so much from Joe, Ragamuffin Joe. She really like saves them all, pretty much. That it's almost like we've got the the six of them, the six of them this week, and we hardly see George and Timmy at all, which is awful. I know you're right. It's a very strange setup with this one. It is. When I started reading this book, I actually had a dream that I finished the whole book, and I think I actually had two different dreams about finishing this book. And in one of them, Dick was like king of the comedians and he had so many funny lines and jokes and actually now I'm not sure if that was a dream or if that was actually the book because you know Dick is usually kind of our like jokester character um and then I had another dream where I read it and the famous five books had taken a really dark turn and it was like it was a scary book about children being kidnapped not you know not like fun and George has been in a tower and she's sad because Timmy's not in there with her. It was like, they were scary, they were scary dark books. And you know, when I woke up for a minute, I thought they were real. Well, really like that. I think this one is darker because when Joe eventually finds George, the book says she looks thin. Now, I don't yeah. think they fed her like a lot of other captors had done. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. And, I mean, have they been feeding Timmy? Because they've just been doping him. So maybe, I guess, feeding him contaminated meat. But, yeah, they have not taken good care of the no. the prisoners in this book, which is a shame. Usually we see a lot better than that. I think they're the scariest baddies we've had so far. I agree, actually. Let's dive into chapter one. Let's fall in to the adventure of chapter one of Five Fall Into Adventure. Chapter 1. George and Timmy are waiting at the station. Julie and Dick and Anne have been in France for six weeks. Wow. And there's only two weeks left of the summer holidays. And we need like a siren or something, but science update. <laughs> Uncle Quentin has been lecturing in America and now he's well known all over the world. Ooh. And him and Aunt Fanny are off to Spain for a holiday. And it appears that their address has been printed in the newspapers. The children are going to be left with Joanna at Kieran Cottage. But as Aunt Fanny says, nothing could possibly happen. Nothing could possibly happen. Aunt Fanny was wrong, of course. Anything could happen where the five were left on their own. Sizzle, sizzle. Sizzle, sizzle. Anything could happen. And before the adults go, Dick's plan for the holiday is um, he's going to bathe six times a day. and. He says we can wear our bathing costumes all day long if we want to. So anything could happen, but from the looks of it, because obviously, you know, they're not going to have an adventure, right? 
<laughs> but they are just going to swim all the time and wear their swimsuits, probably even while they sleep. Dick Dick's main priority is just to live his best life, and this is how he's going to do it in this book. But unfortunately, we're about to find out that he does not get to do that. Agreed. In chapter two, they try to get Uncle Quentin to actually go on holiday. George tells, with permission, the press that he's off to Spain. I think that's the idea that the journalist will know he's not at home and so they won't bother him. They don't think about anything else, like telling them that their house is empty. Yeah, telling them that the house is empty and, you know, he's a scientist and we've got the address and that, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things they didn't think of. But as we know from Uncle Quentin, he is an intelligent man, but sometimes he doesn't think through the details. We've seen him try to eat moldy soup, just saying. We have. Finally, Aunt Fanny and Uncle Quentin leave and the children go to see Joanna in the kitchen. Now, if you're confused at this point and your book says Joan... That's because in the older copies of the book, Joanna is Joan. Now, we've met Joanna in previous books. We don't know why it was changed to Joan for this book. We don't know if it was one of the cases where Enid Blyton has just forgotten, given her another name, like she did with Alf the Fisherboy. Or one thought I had, but it doesn't really hold up, is she's got a character called Joanna and a character called Joe later on. Mm -hmm. But then you wouldn't just change it to Joan to differentiate from Joe because that's even closer, really. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is behind that at all. We need Ina Blyton to come on the podcast and tell us. Yes, a little bit tricky, unless we get some sort of uh, psychic medium and they just make it up anyway. Um, So we are going to refer to her as Joanna because she is Joanna in my copy of the book. And in mine, yeah. So Joanna has locked the larder. She's not daft. At the beach, they see two shady characters, a ragamuffin boy and a shabby man. They make five holes in the sand to relax in and go for a bathe. (laughs) When they return, the boy is sat in George's hole. George is about to fight the boy when Dick steps in and is hit in the jaw. He hits the boy back and is called a coward. But the boy says he'll only fight George... Dick says George is a girl, and the boy reveals that he is too, so they can fight. Julian pulls them apart and tells her to clear off. She does, and cries. So this is our first meeting of Ragamuffin Joe. We don't know she's called Joe yet. Oh, we don't, do we? We just know that she's the Ragamuffin boy, but now the Ragamuffin girl. At the beginning of chapter three, we have one of these awkward gender identity conversations between Dick telling George that she can't go about fighting. She shouldn't dress like a boy. And it just says, this sort of speech didn't please George at all. And (laughs) no, it doesn't please us either. It pleases none of us. Sorry, Dick. No. And Anne stops them from arguing. Do shut up arguing, you two, said Anne, and sent a shower of sand over them. Good girl, Anne. Hmm. Throwing sand is not very good, though. If it gets in your eyes, it's very bad. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a bit of an aggressive move for her, but there, there'd already been so much fighting, I'm sure everybody was feeling just very sort of het up. So they have an ice cream, which is important. Excellent. And yes. they arrive far too early for lunch. They have a lazy day, and then Julian does his man's job of locking up the house. All except the small pantry window, which never closes, but was too small to worry about. I know, I loved that because as soon as they said that, you know, you're just like, 
oh, okay, so that's how Ragamuffin Joe is going to get in to allow <laughs> whoever she's with to break into the house. Yeah, there's a bit, um, you know, Julian, he was a very responsible boy and Joanna knew that he wouldn't leave a single window unfastened. She heard him trying to shut the little window in the pantry and she called down, Julian, it's swollen or something and won't shut properly. You needn't bother about it. It's too small for anyone to get into. Well, that means it's definitely not, and someone will definitely get through it. Joanna, come on. Come on now. Come on, you've lived with the Famous Five for a while now. You you know yeah. that you should know these things. Yes. Anyway, they all sleep soundly, but a noise wakes Timmy. Anne also wakes up because she is thirsty. Jen, any comment to make about Anne being thirsty? So many comments. I was delighted that she woke up thirsty and that there was a drink available. And it actually made me feel a lot better about everything because I thought, well, if they have a drink available in the bedroom at night, then hopefully when they go away and she's setting up house, she makes it so that there's a drink available in the night there. And then I thought maybe that's why they drink nothing in the daytime. It's because they just drink all night. <laughs> And she sees a face at the window. Now, I need to talk about this because um, having watched the 70s TV adaptation of The Famous Five 4,000 times as a child, <laughs> a face at the window is sort of common parlance in my family. So should somebody be outside in the garden and they come and stare in the window to try and frighten you, somebody will shout, a face at the window! And... Yes, oh, that's just one of the things from the Famous Five that has come into general life. Oh, that's wonderful. I like that. Julian and Dick run in and send Timmy out to try and catch the person. In Chapter 4, Timmy doesn't catch him, but he did get wet, so they suspect he fled to a boat. They all return to bed, and Julian's worried about how bold that person had been. In the morning, they don't tell Joanna, but they check outside the window and see someone did climb the wall. They make a picnic and head for the beach. They see the ragamuffin girl but ignore her until something hits George. It's a damsonstone being spat by the girl. Dick challenges her to a competition. This was a, an interesting battle because we've established that Dick can't hit her anymore even though he has already, unfortunately, when he thought that she was a boy because it's okay to hit other boys. That's not a problem. Um, and then... There's so much bravado about how Dick is the best at spitting ever that I thought he was going to win. But Joe was actually the better spitter. Mm. So she wins an ice cream. Yes, in Chapter 5, Dick does lose and has to buy her an ice cream. And to George's annoyance, Timmy accepts some of the girl's ice cream. Dick is amused by the odd girl and he apologises for hitting her. And she says her dad gives her worse. Her name's Joe. Dick tells George not to make unkind comments. Now, I can't remember what George actually says. George says, Well, all I can say is I hope I haven't heard layers of dirt and her sm... She began angrily, but Dick stopped her. She's probably not got any soap or hairbrush or anything. She'd be all right cleaned up. Don't be unkind, George. Yeah, I was interested. I put in a little note of the children's different reactions to Joe. There's a little bit a little bit after that when we find out that Joe's mother died and that's when they left the circus. And Julian says, or he thinks rather, that she's dirty. She's probably very good at telling lies and thieving. 
but she's got pluck. So that's uh, some praise from Julian, but then he does go on to think that he'd be glad when she goes. And Dick um, wishes he hadn't given her that awful bruise, though I suspect it's actually her dad that gave her that bruise. And then again on his theme of wanting her to be cleaner, I wonder what she'd be like cleaned up and brushed. She looks as if a little kindness would do her good. Yeah. And then Anne feels sorry for her, but also doesn't really like her. And George is angry and thinks that Joe is a humbug and she is ashamed of Timmy for going to her. Mm-hmm. I would be cross at my dog for going to somebody I didn't like to. So yeah, agreed. I can't, yeah, I can't begrudge her that. And what makes George even more cross is Joe weaving her magic on Timmy. Yeah, and very interesting magic it was as well, pretending to be a sad puppy. I mean, like, interesting move, but naughty. We find out that Joe's mother died and her dad had been an acrobat until he got a foot injury. Joe leaves them, proclaiming that she only likes Dick. Which is fair enough. Yeah, Dick is the he's the fun guy, and also he's been nicest to her. And I mean he is the also the one that punched her in the face, but I wonder if she she feels like she knows where she stands with him following that. Possibly. In chapter six, that night Anne chooses George and Timmy as protectors over Julian. We're reminded again that the pantry window doesn't lock. Yes, we are. Julian (laughs) lets Timmy out and he returns rather subdued, but he sleeps all night without stirring. Julian thinks he hears a noise, but takes comfort in the fact that Timmy is not barking. I actually, I put in a note. So when Timmy comes back and it says, um, you know, Timmy wagged his tail feebly and he didn't jump up. And he woofs in a subdued voice and Julian just says, oh, you look like you've been up to some mischief. And then Timmy gets onto George's bed and he does a big sigh and she thinks that he's dug up a bone to eat. But I put in a note here saying, Timmy succumbs because he won't eat poisoned meat, but I knew I could feel it that he had eaten something. Something with something in it. Something's happened to him. We all know that look of a guilty dog who's at something they shouldn't. Yes. When they won't quite look you in the eye. (laughs) Yes. We know it well. The next morning, Joanna gets up, and on hearing her scream, Julian and Dick rush downstairs. Uncle Quentin's study has been ransacked. They wonder how anyone got in and why Timmy didn't bark. And that's when they realise Timmy has been doped. It's all very frightening. There's no address for Uncle Quentin and Aunt Fanny. And George mentions the most important things in the study are two books of American notes that appear to be missing. Julian rings the police. In chapter 7, the police were very thorough, even asking Anne to try and fit through the larder window. They leave, saying they'll be back with a photographer. The children wonder how Timmy got drugged, with George claiming he doesn't take food from other people. The children go out on the boat, and Anne has what I like to call a gen moment. I know, I have... Put a tab on this page. I've been holding it open since we got to this chapter. I would like to tell you about Anne. So the children are having a lovely time in George's boat and they go halfway to the island and they bathe from the boat and they dive and they have swimming races. And Timmy joins them, though he couldn't swim nearly as fast as they could. He doesn't really swim, said Anne. He just tries to run through the water. I wish he'd let me ride on his back like a sea dog, but he always slips away under me when I try. 
My note here says, Anne wants to ride a sea dog. I mean, don't we all? Don't we all? We used to have a Springer Spaniel who was a very strong swimmer. Shadow, the current Labrador, she doesn't swim. But Boyne did, and I was quite small at the time. And I used to hold his tail and he'd pull me along <laughs> as he swam. Now, I'm not recommending anybody do that. It's not a good idea. But he would get this look on his face as if to say, why have I become so heavy? Oh, um, bless him. I have to say, my dad told me off and I didn't do it again, but it was fun. <laughs> oh, no, that is funny. So what's interesting about what she says is the fact that she's tried to get on his back. He always slips away under me. Now, I think Timmy might think Anne's trying to drown him. (laughs) Really? I can't say one way or the other at this point. Do you think he's frightened and he thinks it might be a whale? (laughs) Don't start (laughs) that again. They head home. Joanna has had a busy day feeding the entire Kirin constabulary. And they head to bed with George escorting Timmy on his walk this time. Inside, Julian is locked up, leaving the front door open for George and heads to bed, listening for George to close the front door. He hears it and goes to sleep. And Katie is annoyed at this. I know. This is very un-Julian. Yes, I feel like he could have gone down to check she'd locked it. But I mean, it's sweet that he trusts that she has and he doesn't feel like he needs to check. But irresponsible Julian. This is the same Julian that a few books ago wanted to lock the girls in the caravan so they were safe. Yes. And now suddenly he's going to bed with the door wide open. Yeah. Going to bed with the door wide open after a break-in. Yes. And he hears the doors closed, but he wouldn't have heard George and Timmy climb the stairs. You're not telling me they don't make any noise. That's what I thought too. I really feel that he shirked his usual responsibility. But he had to for the plot. Do you think he'd been doped too? Possibly. In chapter 8, Anne is thirsty again, but she's careful not to wake George up. Mm. In the morning, she joins the boys and they believe that George and Timmy have gone out by themselves. Except there's a massive red flag, which when Anne wakes up in the morning, her eyes went to George's bed. It was empty. More than that, it was all neat and tidy as if it had just been made. Well, said Anne in astonishment, George is up already and has even made her bed. No, Anne, we've covered this in pretty much every other book. George will not make her bed unless she's asked to. This this is this is a danger. This is a sign of danger. This is not a sign that George is suddenly a bed maker. And also, in the last book, she wouldn't even wake up out of the tent when breakfast was ready and Richard Kent was on his way to join them. Oh, that's true. She wouldn't, would she? And the fact that she's been up earlier than Joanna and Joanna didn't hear her go and she's not had any breakfast, it's too its too much not to be suspicious. It is too much. Like, book two, book three, yes, because George was in the habit of going out without telling people, but not not now. No. Um, but there is, there is a fun bit after Joanna says that she never heard George go, which is she makes them a big breakfast and... Anne is loving it. The sausages are all done just how she likes them. And Anne says, I thought this was a bit of a surprise. I would expect it more from Dick, but do you think we'd better eat George's too? She's still out in the boat. She may not be back for ages. And Joanna just says, (laughs) well, then you'd better eat her share. Oh, okay. Okay, Joanna. Yep. (laughs) Everyone's gone mad this morning in the book, I think. Yeah, it's 
thirst, I think. The boys go shopping, and on the way back, they see Jo on the beach. She's upset because her dad has given her more bruises and taken their caravan and gone off without her, Hmm. saying that she can ask Jake, a fellow traveller, for money. Now, I went to the library today, and I looked at a copy of the 2010 version of Five Fall Into Adventure, where it had been sensitively revised, I believe is their um, words for it. And funnily enough, they'd removed the word traveller. However, guidelines are that you don't refer to someone as a traveller unless it's necessary, but that is actually the correct way to refer to somebody who is a traveller. Always with a capital T. I looked it up because I wanted to be correct. I don't think that we should just use the words that we think are best. I think we should always check that we're saying the right things that people want to be known by. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, Julian and Dick are astonished because her dad has left her. Dick gives her chocolate and biscuits and tells her to come to the kitchen at Kieran Cottage and he also gives her 5p. George was not home by lunchtime. They check to see if she's gone out by boat, but it's been there all day. They wait until tea time, and then they hear a noise. They think it's George, but it's Joe with a note. In chapter 9, Joe hands the note to Julian, who tells Dick not to let her go. They get her in the room, and Julian reads the note. We want the second notebook, the one with figures in, and we mean to have it. Find it and put it under the last stone on the crazy paving path at the bottom of the garden. Put it there tonight. We've got the girl and the dog. We will set them free when we have what we want from you. If you tell the police, neither the girl nor the dog will come back. The house will be watched to see that nobody leaves it to warn the police. The telephone wires are cut. When it is dark, put the lights on in the front room and all three of you sit there with the maid, Joanna, (laughs) so that we can keep a watch on you. Oh, blimey, you can see why I'd gone with the wind at an interval. (laughs) That's a quote from Dinner Ladies, by the way. Let the big boy leave the house at 11 o'clock, shining a torch, and put the notebook where we said. He must then go back into the lighted room. You will hear a hoot like an owl when we have collected it. The girl and the dog will then be returned. Now, they know that the maid's called Joanna, but they don't know the name of the big boy, Julian. (laughs) Yes, actually, I hadn't noticed that before, but that is funny. (laughs) The big boy. I like that because it makes it sound more like he's, you know, sort of, I don't know, like five or six. Oh, he's a big boy. But actually, he's <laughs> the most sensible. Mm. Yeah. Um, Not eldest boy. No, the big boy. No. Um, and I do like later when Julian's getting cross about what they've been asked to do and he describes it as all very stupid and melodramatic. True. They quiz Joe as to who gave her the note. She gives her a description, but she won't give any more. They let her go. Julian tries to call the police, but the wires have been cut. Dick offers to slip out and warn the police, but it's too dangerous. Also, they have to be in sight. Then Anne, so clever, asks if anybody is due to the house, and Sid the paperboy is. They decide to snatch (laughs) him at the front door and replace him with Dick. Then Dick will be able to come back and see who takes the fake notebook that they will put out for them. I love Sid so much. He is amazing. And this chapter, oh, sorry, it's the next chapter. Um, Sid's Wonderful Evening is just my favourite thing ever. Oh, in chapter 10, Sid is alarmed at first, but soon he has the best day of his <laughs> life. He assumes Dick has been challenged to a bet and he's happy when he hears that supper's on the cards. 
Julian explains what's going on to Joanna. At eleven, Julian puts the notebook in place. When he's back, they hear the owl hoot, which must be a secret signal. Sid is sent home, whistling all the way, though he does run away from a police officer, but he can't wait to tell his mum where he's been. Dick's evening was different. He thought someone was watching Kieran Cottage, so he slowed down to show he was the paper boy. He delivered the last two papers and went to the cinema. Then he returned to Kieran Cottage to find a hiding place. You know, when he took Sid's bike... And Sid said, oh, there's, you know, there's still two newspapers to be delivered. I thought, oh, they're not going to get delivered tonight. And that's, you know, it's going to reflect badly on Sid. But actually, no, as part of his disguise, Dick went and delivered the post. (laughs) He was really in character. He was very involved with being the paper boy, so much so. He delivered the paper. He wanted to get, like, really get into the character. Like, what would the paper boy do? Um, and Sid is just adorable. Um, when Julian says, uh, when Julian agrees with Sid's story that yes, uh, Dick's taken on some bet to deliver the papers, and he says, "Will you stay and have supper with us, Sid?" And this little quote, Sid's eyes nearly fell out of his head. Supper with you folks, he said. Coo, that'd be a rare treat. He just, like, he just sounds. <laughs> amazing like he sounds so adorable i love him and then he has a lovely evening and they play snap and happy families and there's dessert and he's really pleased that he gets to go and have dinner in the kieran cottage what a wonderful day and of course dick goes to the cinema mm. and it just occurred to me to have a quick look this book was first published in 1950 so let's pretend that that's when it's set And if it was set in 1950, he could possibly have gone to see, and this is a crossover with our other podcast, Disney's Cinderella. Oh, wow. I think that's the kind of film that Dick might like to watch. I think Dick would like that. So in chapter 11, Dick is up a tree. He watches Julian, the big boy, plays the (laughs) notebook. He sees a shadow collector and follows it along the road into a field. There he sees a car moving slowly and a package being handed over. Then he saw the shadow returning to Kieran Cottage. He leapt on it, shouting for Julian. And only after a nasty fight and struggle do they realise it's Joe. Dick gives her what for. You are a savage, deceitful, double-dealing little wildcat, said Dick, looking at his bites and scratches. Pretending you know nothing about the man who gave you that note. All the time you're in with that crooked lot of thieves and kidnappers, whoever they are. That is a mouthful. Joe is in tears and says she came back to tell them where George was. Yes, she took the parcel, but now she was here to help. In chapter 12, it's 1am. Far too late. That is way, way too late. And Joe only agrees to help them if they don't call the police. Do you know what the police would do with me if they get hold of me? They'll put me in a home for bad girls and I'll never get out again. Because I am a bad girl and I do bad things. I've never had a chance. Everyone gets a chance sooner or later, said Julian gently. You'll get yours, Joe, but see you take it when it comes. Oh, Julian, I'm sure he said that to other people too. Yeah, I think he has too with other other children who are a bit troubled. I think with um, our friend Nobby from the circus, I think he said that to him. Yeah. Joanna sees to Joe, and when she's had a bath, she talks to Julian and Dick. She did let the men in, and she doped Timmy. And she tells them how George and Timmy got kidnapped. And she tells them she's only helping them because she wants Dick to like her. Joe says George and Timmy are in the caravan in Raven's Wood. 
Joanna sends them all to bed, because her main concern is that she won't be up early enough to catch the milkman. Has Joanna gone mad, by the way? I'm not sure, Joanna. I, I honestly think that an adult has to be there, but the adult has to not take charge of the situation. A oh, bit like yeah. Mr. Luffy. Yes. So there has to be an adult there, because otherwise it's for children alone in a house. Of course, yeah. But we don't want the adult to say, no, I'm the adult in this situation and I'm doing this. Of course, yeah. And also what they do with Joanna is you've got this class barrier where she is the servant and painted as a bit of a yokel, so not particularly intelligent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all that sort of stereotype kind of country folk, I think Julie refers to her as at one point. So... That's why her main concern is the milkman, not the kidnapped child. But bless her. Uh, well, she wants to get the milkman so that she makes sure they've got enough milk. And when I saw that first, I thought, oh, of course, because they've got Joe there now. But then, of course, usually they'd have George. So there's, there should already be enough milk coming for four children, one woman and a dog. Shouldn't there? It's the biggest mystery of the entire book. I agree. And will we get a resolution for this mystery? I just don't know. Well, in chapter 13, she isn't up to catch the milkman. Oh, no. She isn't up until 7.30. <gasps> Julian wakes up at 8 and wakes Joe. They all eat breakfast. And Julian shows Joe a map before discovering she can't read or write. So they need a different strategy. They give Joe George's old clothes and liken her to George, which she hates. And off they go, following at a distance in case Joe is spotted with them. Then a man steps out and pulls Joe into the hedge and away. Golly gosh. In chapter 14, Joe and the man have vanished. So the children catch a bus to Ravenswood and come across a traveller's camp. Anne is clever enough to remember the name of the horse that pulls Joe's caravan, Blackie. Good girl. Julian asks a lady and she points him in the right direction. They head off, find the caravan, and whisper for George. And I do like here a little sweet bit. Julian is, you know, sort of worrying about what's going to happen if Simmy, Joe's dad, is in the caravan. What will they do? And then he thinks, well, if we can undo the door and let them out, Timmy will do the rest. Because Timmy's as good as three policemen. And he says, yes, that's the best plan. It is, Timmy. Good old Timmy. In chapter 15, there's no reply. Julian tries the door and it's unlocked, so they go into the smelly, dirty, empty caravan. But they do see the words Red Tower written in George's writing. That's where George must have been taken. They decide to go to the police. They're too worried to eat, and as they walk, a storm comes. They shelter, but then they realise they're horribly lost. They wander until it gets dark, and so they bed down for the night in the wood. Yeah, and when they are in the woods, and they're lost, and it's almost three o'clock, and they haven't had anything to eat since breakfast, which, as we know, as we know is a total travesty in Famous Five, because they have, like, five meals a day. Um, so they, they have some nice sandwiches, and Dick says, there's nothing to drink, unfortunately. Surprise. But Joanna's packed tomatoes and plums too, so we'll have those instead of a drink. They're nice and juicy. And to that, all I can say is no, no, no children, no. You need some proper, you need some proper hydration. You can't just eat a plum and a tomato and expect that to be the same as having some water. 
No. However, it is better than absolutely nothing. That's true. In chapter 16, Julian lies awake, too worried to sleep, when he hears a noise. It came nearer. It came right over to him. He felt warm breath on his ear and made a quick movement of revulsion. He sat up swiftly and put out his hand. It fell on something warm and hairy. He withdrew his hand at once, feeling for his torch in panic. To touch something warm and hairy in the pitch darkness was too much, even for Julian. (laughs) Even for Julian. Even for Julian. It was Joe, obviously. And it was Jake that took Joe, but she escaped and tracked them to the wood. Do you know, to begin with, I was hoping it was going to have been Timmy. Um, but but Joe's, Joe's good too. Joe, Joe helps them. But I missed Timmy. They ask her if they know where George is now. And Timmy, her answer is too awful. I know. They tell Joe about Red Tower and she reveals it's not a place, it's a person. A tall, red-headed man. They're not sure if they believe her, but in the morning she leads them out of the wood and back to Kieran Cottage. In chapter 17, they arrive back to a frantic Joanna who feeds them and makes Joe bathe. Afterwards, the children discuss Red Tower. He's in a house on a cliff that you can only access by boat. Joe also thinks you can get into the house from a cave in the cove. The boys and Joe get George's boat and sail towards Red's house. They reach the cove, scale the cliff with the help of a rope, and they follow Joe into the cave. Chapter 18 is entitled, Things Begin to Happen. And I would argue a lot has happened already. <laughs> I'm with you on that. A, a lot, an awful lot has happened in this book. I mean, they've already had like a whole adventure, but okay. The cave is dark and musty and they look for the passage that leads to the house. Suddenly a voice booms out. Joe hides, but the two boys come face to face with Red. Julian wonders if he's a jealous scientist after secrets. He faces Red and calls his bluff, making him believe the police were on their way. Red calls for Markov to go and smash their boat, tie up the boys and make the helicopter ready for takeoff. They take the boys away and Joe remains hidden. Markov returns, having smashed the boat. The passage opens to a courtyard and as the boys are being tied up, they spy poor Timmy, doped and hopeless. This is horrible. As the men leave, Joe appears to untie the boys. In chapter 19, Joe asks Dick an important question. Will you marry me? Joe looked at Dick. Do you badly want George to be rescued, she said. That's a silly question, said Dick. I want it more than anything else in the world. Well, I'll go and get her then, said Joe. And she got up as if she really meant it. Don't make jokes now, said Julian. This really is serious, Joe. Well, so am I, retorted Joe. I'll get her out, you see if I don't. Then you'll know I'm trustable, won't you? You think I'm mean and thieving and not worth a penny and I expect you're right but I can do some things you can't and if you want this thing I'll do it for you yeah I I kind of love how much she loves Dick it's so sweet you know all the things in the book when she's you know we see her trying out being a nicer you know like a nicer kind of person a good person um but everything she does is because she loves Dick like It's adorable. And so she climbs up the side of the building, lets herself in the window, finds the room that George must be in, unlocks it and finds George. Yay! Chapter 20. George can't believe it. They go to escape, but hear someone coming. Quick as a flash, Joe says they must swap places. George won't, but Joe insists, telling her that she's not doing it for George, she's doing it for Dick. 
The men arrive and don't realise they have got Joe, not George. They're busy arguing about who left the door open. George rushes out. She hears them say that they will shoot Timmy. She finds him, but he can't walk. She sees Julian, who thinks she is Joe. They drag Timmy across the yard, and even when he falls down some steps, he's unharmed. George sings Joe's praises as she tells them about her rescue. That was awful when Timmy was so drugged that he couldn't walk. You know, it was horrible earlier in the book when Joe said that she thought that they would have done in Timmy. You know, then we find he's alive, but he's been drugged. And then Markov's being sent down to shoot him. And then, oh, and then George is about to get him and he can't walk away. It's like, just, this book is dark. It's just like the dream I had. It is. It is very dark. I feel so sorry for Timmy in this. Yeah, me too. He's such a good boy. In chapter 21, George fills them in on the whole sequence of events. Markov is in the process of discovering both dog and captured boys have escaped. He rushes back to the house to be confronted with Jake and Simmy, who tell him the cook and the girl have gone to the police, and also, they want paying. Red is furious that the notes are not the ones he wanted, and that the men want more money, and the news that Markov gives him. Red makes an order for Jake to fetch the girl, and when he refuses, Markov pulls a revolver. Jake and Simmy go to get her and are astounded when they find Joe. In chapter 22, Joe denies any knowledge of the other girl, and Simmy and Jake have to tell Red that the girl is Joe. He is incandescent with rage, and Joe watches as three men fight, and she exits the room, locking them in with a key, and locking mm-hmm. the next room with a bolt. She takes the key with her, she locks herself in the larder, and eats as much as she can, and she fills a bag with food and finds the others. Which was so sweet of her. I loved that she did that. She she thought to take them food as well because she realised they'd be hungry. Absolutely. Yeah. Chapter 23 sees the children announce Joe as a friend for life. George, too. And Timmy appears a little better. Markoff and two other men hunt for the children. They hide, but Joe is discovered and returns the key. They also threaten to shut them in the cave, and Joe reveals she gave them the larder key. Well done, Joe, except now they fear for when the men return. I love at the end of chapter 23 when um, when we find out that Joe's given the larder key and not the room key, and Dick says, with the utmost conviction, no one will ever get the better of you, Joe. Never. You're as cute as a bag full of monkeys. <laughs> what? I don't know what that means. I, I love don't it. know. You're as cute as a bag full of monkeys. And she is. In chapter 24, they decide to climb down the cliff and they have to tie Timmy with the rope to lower him down. Oh, it's very dear. hard, but they manage. They hunt for a hiding place and they find the boat. Markov didn't smash it, but suddenly he appears and they rush to get the boat in the water. Timmy slips into the water, but somehow the cold of it revives him and he's back to normal. He goes for Markov, keeping him at bay whilst the children ready the boat. Then he joins them and before Markov can get them, they row away. Amazing. That was quite a um sort of a tense scene. I I felt that that was a little bit more frightening than than the usual sort of escape scenes we have, you know, when they're trying to get the boat out and Markov shimmying down because Joe didn't think to take away the rope and you know it's all like sort of at the last minute and they think they're going to mm. get got and then yeah, it's very it's very wowy. And in the final chapter, they get back to Kieran Bay. Anne is waiting, regretful that she was left out. The phone is mended and the police arrive to hear the tale. Joe is going to be looked after by Joanna's cousin and she gives the police the key. 
The police assured Julian that no important science notes were taken, as Uncle Quentin left them with a science friend. Ha <laughs> ha! The police arrest all the baddies at Red's house. And at Kieran Cottage, a telegram arrives from Uncle Quentin. It's from Seville in Spain, said the voice, and reads as follows. Here is our address. Please cable back saying everything all right, Uncle Quentin. Julian repeated the message to the others, who had now crowded round him in the hall. What reply should I give, he asked. No good upsetting them now everything is over. Not a bit of good, said Dick. Say what you like. Right, said Julian, and turned to the telephone again. Hello, here is the reply message, please. Ready? Having a most exciting time with lots of fun and games, everything okay, Julian. Everything okay, repeated Anne as they went upstairs to bed once more. That's what I like to hear at the end of an adventure. Everything okay. <laughs> the end. Ah, that's what I like to hear too. I think as we've gone through, we've kind of spoken about how we feel about this one and how it does seem a lot darker. I think with the kidnap, I know Dick was kidnapped last time, but it seemed a lot more haphazard, the kidnapping last time. For sure. Yeah, it was It was very different in this one. I feel like there was a lot more ill intent. Yeah, and just sort of all the business of us thinking that Timmy was going to be shot on two different occasions. And it was, yeah, yeah it was just, it was very, very frightening. Frightening people in this one. Yeah, I think with the famous five, if Timmy's all right, then we know that the the four children will be okay because we've seen Timmy take down almost every single baddie or yeah. keep bad people at bay. But as soon as you take Timmy out of the equation, it does become very scary. Absolutely, yes, because Timmy is as good as three policemen. Three policemen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Police officers. Yeah, that's right. Police officers is what we say nowadays, but of course in the 1950s it was policemen. <laughs> Have you got anything else you want to say about Five Fall Into Adventure? No, I don't think I do. In which case, we'll move on to the clips. Ooh! So we'll play the 90s version first. The actual episode is incredibly melodramatic and does some amazing acting. (laughs) And when they find out Timmy's been doped, there's a lot of loud voices. And yes, Um, Joan is in it and she is called Joan. And I messaged you one of my favorite lines. So as Aunt Fanny, although I believe she's Aunt Frances in this one, and Uncle Quentin leave... They say, you know, sort of mind how you go, be careful. And Anne shouts, we've got Julian. And George shouts, and Timmy. And Dick shouts, and Dick. Which I think is a perfect bit of characterization from from the show. Yes, I totally agree. I love that. But it's not in the books, but I think that is something that Dick would say. And so well done to Alan Seymour, who adapted this episode. It was also directed by Michael Kerrigan. And in the clip, you're going to hear Vanessa Kavanagh as Joe and Robert Crombie as Alf, who is really Sid, but is actually Alf. We'll talk about that afterwards. Serves that George girl right. She has been kidnapped. Horrible, rude thing. Let her go. We've got plans to make. If she overhears, we'll be in trouble. Get in. No, wait. It's only a paper, boy. Here, what the? What are you doing? Hey, that's my bag! It's 
explain later. What's the game? Plots. Deep dark plots. I love this one. This gave me, I just had such a big smile on my face watching it. Um, it's, it's just adorable. I love Julian's uh, explanation of what's happening. Plots. Deep, dark plots. And, uh, and also if you watch it, which I would recommend just based off of that few seconds, the way that he, you said melodramatic, yeah. It, the way he very melodramatically closes those doors after delivering that line. Very good. Robert Crumbie, who played Alf, appears in several episodes. So I assume they just didn't want to get another actor in for that tiny role and thought that Alf, as well as being a fisher boy, could also be a newspaper delivery boy. And why not? Yeah, why not? Two jobs. And Brilliant. I do need to mention Vanessa Kavanagh who plays joe do you remember the bbc show the biz at cbbc show i should say the biz i the name is familiar but i don't i don't think i watched it it's set in a in a children's stage school paul nichols was in it i think it was one of his first jobs and i used to absolutely love it including the theme tune and all the kids would sing and dance and act and it would be like all that as well as you know individual dramas and who's in love with who and all that sort of thing going on. It was great. On the back of this, I am going to try and find it on YouTube. Awesome. Because I absolutely loved it. But very sadly, Vanessa Kavanagh died in 2002. Oh, that's a shame. She can't have been very old at all. No, she would be our age now. She was born in 84. Oh, oh that's such a so shame. So 2002, she was what, 18? Yeah, bless her. She was involved in a car crash. Oh, that's so sad. Yes, very sad indeed. In the 1970s version, it all sort of happens in a different order to the book. Um, As you'll notice in the clip we play, George is still there. She's not actually been kidnapped yet. And who is the man? The man is Rogers. He is the gardener who doesn't exist in the books but existed in the 70s version. Okay. So, yes, this episode... It has the usual cast with Rogers, who's played by Friedrich von Thun. It was directed by Sidney Havers and written by Gail Renard. The actor who plays Sid, who doesn't get to speak, is uncredited. Oh. Sid the paper boy's coming. He's a bit late, isn't he? I expect it's local rag. Often delivers after the youth club. But if we're being watched, how will he get through? I expect him to come down the drive, deliver the paper and go. If he stops or does anything suspicious, they'll grab him. Hey! What are you up to? Our friends are expecting to see a paperboy come and go. So what are you going to do? Take Sid's place. But they'll notice. Well, can't we just give Sid a message? Well, that would take ages and he'll react and they'll notice. But you can't just pull a switch. Wanna bet? Come on, Sid. There's nothing to worry about. I love Dick's just super straightforward attitude in this clip with who I now know to be Rogers saying, but you can't just pull a switch. And Dick says, wanna bet? And he does. He does pull a switch. He does. It's lovely. I'm very fond of Dick in the 1970s version. Actually, watching it back now, because I was obsessed with George, obviously, but I never realised just how much I liked Dick. 
And I just think he's great and he gets some of the best things to do as well. Yeah. He's he's a wonderful character. Gary Russell, this is a shout out to you. Yeah. If you're listening, we love you. We do. Right, so what have we learned from Five Fall Into Adventure? Well, I have said it before, but I'll say it again. Um, Timmy is as good as three policemen. That is the metric behind his goodness. It's very important to catch the milkman, Mm. even when a child has been kidnapped. If you don't have anything to drink, just eat some tomatoes and plums. If you're a famous scientist, give your most important work to a friend, but don't tell anyone. And make sure you're uncontactable for at least a week. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. Uh, um, Do not stray from the only bit of trail you recognise, even if there is a thunderstorm. Very wise indeed. This is a section where we discuss the hero of the book. And we struggled with that this week for our previously mentioned reasons, because we just don't see that much of anybody. And then when we do see the children there's hardly any of the book where they're actually together but after a lot well not really a lot of deliberation but we've we've got a hero we have we wanted to give it to joe but we have to stay in our own rules of course that we made it has to be one of the five so we've chosen dick and pretty much solely because of uh what are you calling it the sid yes i like to call it the sid swap yeah yeah because i i think um, also, you know, realistically, that was the was sort of one of the best, cleverest, bravest moments of the five in the book. You know, poor George and Timmy didn't really get a chance at all. And also Anne didn't get to go on the most adventurous part of the adventure. So, um, yeah, Dick, good job, Dick. Um, but then, of course, because we do follow our own rules, we can give honourable mention to Ragamuffin Joe. We can. And, of course, aside from the initial punch to the face, he is very kind to Joe. Oh, he is. Yes, that's true. He he is really kind. He's the kindest of the five. Apart from Timmy. He's the kindest of the four children to Joe. I feel like he's sort of the most compassionate. So, well done, Dick. Yeah, well Another done. Another hero. Another hero. And actually, funnily, that balances it out. So, at this point, everybody except George has been hero of the book twice, mm-hmm. and we're on our ninth book. So, if George is hero of the book in book 10, either we are very, very fair, or Enid Blyton worked really hard to make these books <laughs> very balanced. <laughs> so, what can we expect next week? And I have absolutely no idea at the moment because i don't have the book yet so i haven't even been able to look at the synopsis six words and they won't mean anything to you until you've read it you ready two trees gloomy water saucy jane that just sounds like a strange puzzle maybe it is okay well i look forward to finding out two trees what's the second one gloomy water water and saucy jane Hmm. Oh, okay. I'm ready to find out. Well, I tell you what, why don't we meet about this same time next month and find out together? That is such a great idea and I am in.
And we hope you'll come back and listen as well. And in the meantime, please go on to Twitter at Famous5Pod. You can visit our website, www.famous5pod.wordpress.com, especially if you'd like to see the new page that I've just put up, which is a menu for the day based on what the Famous Five have eaten so far in the nine books that we've covered. Yes, love it. And I want to have a day where I eat like the Famous Five. And if you've and if you've got any feedback, any thoughts, feelings, or you just want to say hello, you can contact us on our email, which is famousfivepod at gmail.com. Yes, do. And especially if you've got a um a book that's different to ours. So maybe if you've got Joan or if you've got one of the modern ones with some more light you can shed on the amount of violence and the use of the word traveller. Like we... We are really interested in all of the little changes in the book, so would love to hear from you. Absolutely. So until next time, goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye. Goodbye.